As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're talking about the U.S. U-20s being great, as well as the many Americans on the move, or potentially on the move, to do so. I'm joined by our longtime friend from American Soccer Now. It's Brian Sharetta. Brian, welcome back. Great to speak to you. Oh, thank you very much, Taylor. It's always thrilled to be on. Yeah, man. Uh, how are you enjoying your summer without soccer, in which there's been an awful lot of soccer happening? Oh, it's been great. I mean, I've, I've, I've had a tough time catching up. Um, uh, it was tough covering the game last week uh, with my computer meltdown while I was on vacation, and I was typing a lot with my thumb on my iPhone. Um, but other than that, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Um, and now it's uh, we got MLS in full swing, preseason beginning, and um, you know, it's really there's no real national team stuff to cover for a bit. So it's really now on. The clubs yeah. um, and 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 players progressing there, and then just overall the fun of club soccer, you know, with weak com- competition, you know, on a near weekly basis. Yeah, man. Well, we're going to talk about some club soccer moves in a moment. First, let's talk U20s. As you said, you were covering them. The U.S. 20s won their third straight Concacaf U20 championship, which has added weight this time around. Can you explain what their finish means in terms of qualifying for future competitions? Oh, it was huge um, because for, for the first time they've wrapped up Olympic qualification into the U-20 age group as opposed to the U-23. And the U-23 was always a, a tough age group because players were never getting released. You know, when you're that age, you're not really a, a youth player anymore, but they, they you know, they tried to treat it like, you know, you were and, and clubs, you know, chance to get like a 22, 23 year old voluntarily released from club detail means he has to be like a a B teamer, a bench player. And it was, um, it was proving to be very impossible. So they really did the right thing in making this U 20 eligible because it's the last, it's the oldest you can get really towards having your a players released. If that makes sense. Yeah. So, so they did that and us was able to field a strong squad. Not, not everyone was released, but a pretty strong squad. And, uh, you know, it was a fair and square reflection, I think of where, of where we are. Um, uh, and I think it, it it reflected, you know, well. And then and then now they qualify for the Olympics and the U twenty World Cup. So the Olympic curse is now over. Now what's fun about that now is that the Olympics is for an older age group. So players who were born in two thousand one and two thousand two um, are now going to be able to be part of the U twenty three team, even if they didn't have any qualification. Now I think mm-hmm. when the Olympics roll around. You're not going to be able to get everyone released, but because the full national team is not going to be in. We don't know what their schedule is going to be like, but there won't be World Cup qualification. I think there's going to be a, a, an importance on the Olympics. And I think they'll get a lot of their top players released. You know, you could be talking about a Musa or a Reina. Um, and, uh, but so anyway, it opens up the door now to the 01, to 2001s and 2002 born players who were, had their U20 cycle canceled because of COVID. And now they're going to be Olympic eligible. And now you can run up that team. You can open up that team knowing qualifications already secure. Let's build a team for the Olympics. 
Man. So we have a team we could potentially build for the Olympics. I'm excited to talk about some names that could be added to that. First, with the games that we've now had in the U20 championships, if you, Brian, were building your kind of preferred starting 11 for this team, if they're playing one more game that they've got to win with the players they had here, how like what does that lineup look like for you? I mean, it's pretty close to, yeah, I mean, without the squad rotation, mm-hmm. I think. And look, there's going to be some players who weren't released who would fit, fit in, in the mold. But I'm pretty even on the goalkeepers between Brady and Carrera. I know Brady was the um, Chris Brady was the number one. I don't see them much separating those two. Um, uh, so that's a push. But I think Cuevas on the right and Noah Allen on the left. And I thought Jalen Neal and Brandon Craig were the starting best starting central defenders. Uh, that defensive midfielder is a push because both Rokas Pukas and um, Daniel Edmond, both of them impressed me um, quite a bit. Uh, you know, I think, um, you know, you can't go wrong either way. Um, you know, maybe Edelman because he was captain like he was seen as captain like material. Um, and then in the, in the, I think, you know, in the other, you know, the other midfield positions, you want Paxton and Jack McGlynn. Um, and then up top, Cade Cowell who's now suspended for the first game of the U-20 World Cup because that suspension will carry over. And um, uh, Quinn Sullivan. And then, you know, kind of that false nine role. I guess you'd have to go with Caden Clark. You know, that's not his best position, but they don't really have a number nine in his age group. So they've been trying to make do without that. When was the last time we had a number nine? It was Josie Altador, right? Like, does any age group have, like, that out-and-out number nine that maybe fans would love to see? Well, I thought Pepe would have been really good in this tournament, too. I mean, if you would put him now down with the U-20s, which he was eligible for this tournament. He was one of the players who was eligible and, you know, was not either released or or they were giving him time off. Um, You know, he would have been good. But, yeah, you know, it's it's been a tough position to fill. They wanted the – uh, Malik Sonogo, kid from Union Berlin, uh, at the start of the cycle, but they they brought him into a couple of camps and it just didn't work out for him. Um, there was high expectations there, so you know, unfortunately with that, there's there, you know they have to kind of and then remember um, uh, Patrick Wea, the kid from uh, Minnesota United, tore his ACL. They wanted to give him looks, so it never really worked out. Um, they're they're still kind of you know. You know, Josh Sargent was a very good at the youth level, but in terms of a youth guy who then makes the transition to the full team, I don't know. And look, I think it's it's also a tough position because I think you start seeing these guys get really, really good in their later 20s, too. It might be one of these situations where guys are really good at the youth level and they take their lumps for a number of years when they make the transition from youth to senior. And then eventually, you know, in the later senior, then they start getting good again in their later 20s, mid later 20s. That's not going to surprise me if that starts being the case for a number of these guys, like, you know, Josh Sargent, for example. You know, I, I still think, you know, people want to write the, you know, write them off so early. But I think the striker position, we're going to go through like a realization curve, at least the fans will, in terms of realizing that this is a position like, kind of like goalkeeper more than anything, where 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 it, it goes away and then it comes back. Um, Jeremy Abobis is a great example. He's one of the best scorers in MLS right now. And, you know, he struggled a little bit in his transition from the youth to senior year, senior level. And um, now he's mid-20s, 24, 25, and he's, he's starting to come out of it. So we'll see. Um, but I think that's going to be the natural progression of things. And you've watched many, many different U.S. youth teams perform at many, many different competitions. In this one, the U.S. drops points to Canada in their 2-2 draw in the group stage. That mm-hmm. aside, I believe they won their other two group stage games. They won all of their knockout round yeah. games without conceding a goal. That Canada game aside, uh, they were 6-0, and 29 goals scored, zero conceded. With some of those numbers in mind, how strong of a team do you feel like this is in comparison to previous teams we've seen? Because to me... It, it feels like a very, very strong one that then, as you've already said, was missing some key contributors. So it could be even stronger, potentially. Right. Uh, look, I think going on a 20 to nothing uh, goal scoring advantage yeah. after that second Canadian goal um, was something. You know, they didn't concede to Honduras in Honduras. Uh, you know, like they. So, look, some things went well for them. Uh, it broke broke their way some ways. But yeah, look, my 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 concerns are still the same um, with this team. They, 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 it's like when look 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 at like the last couple of tab teams that he had. 
um, the central defenders that they had on those teams were very, very good. Mm-hmm. Like in 15, you had Matt Miazga, Cameron Carter, Vickers, Eric Palmer Brown. And then, you know, then two of those guys continued on to the next cycle. And you had guys like Chris Richards um, and uh, Mark McKenzie and even Justin Glad, who might not be a national team player, but for a U20 level, he was great. Mm-hmm. So it's like you had always good central defenders and you could build the team outward. It's very tough to build a youth team without good central defense. Um, it's just, uh, it's very, you, you know, it covers up for a lot of mistakes out there. So to kind of be good without good central defense or, and not that this central defense on, in this group is poor, but it's just, they really lack the experiences of, of other U 20 cycles in the past. So it's tough to build that kind of a team. The rest of the team is very, very good. Um, they got a great midfield. They, they have, um, guys who can really possess the ball and create. But again, you know, like also without a number nine, too. I mean, you know, Josh Sargent was good. Rubio Rubin was good. I mean, these are even Sebastian Soto was good at the youth level. He's he never made the transition to the senior level or even the pro level yet. That's been a, mm-hmm. a an unfortunate situation. But like, um, you know, it, it's but in terms of how, how these teams actually perform, you know, they're covering up for their weaknesses. Well, they're adjusting for their weaknesses. Well, you know, they're getting when their central defense is kind of a question mark. They're getting great performances out of their defensive midfield. So I like how well they're coached. I like how they're addressing their weaknesses. But, you know, look, it's going to be interesting to see over time how Mikey Varis, who I think is a very good coach, is going to continue to adjust this team and tinker with this team uh, to, to address those weaknesses well. Because, you know, it's um, those are tough weaknesses to overcome. And look, so far it looks like they are doing it too. Based on the way this team played, how much should U.S. fans be thanking the Philadelphia Union organization, do you think? <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, here's the thing. They have the biggest footprint on the U-20 team and the U-17 team coming up as well. But I mean, they're going to put their footprint on like a big portion of the youth national teams, too. And they just keep coming like, um, you know, I think uh, I mean, they got they had 15 goals in this tournament. Uh, you know, that's uh, and something like six assists. If I'm not wrong, I know I got 15 goals. Right. But I think it was six assists as well. That's that's. Um, that's a ton of production from, from four guys. And one of them being a central defender who's not supposed to really contribute much into the offense, but you know, they are, um, they get it done. Uh, and it's a head, it's a, it's a big credit to Jim Curtin. Now the big test for him is may not with the U 17s because they, they're not really knocking on the door first at, at the first team yet, but these U 20 kids, they, you know, they're going to have to really kind of complete the cycle and get them involved with the, first team more than they have been um and i think there is a plan for that i think there was always what, what could get through this tournament uh before they you know before they started introducing them because you didn't want to introduce them in may or april then lose them for a month yeah. and then bring them back into the i think that to keep a continuous flow this tournament has always been marked on their calendar saying you know this, this is when we're going to be a get in some minutes or jack or quinn um you know i think it's uh but yeah philadelphia union is now having a tremendous Tremendous impact on the youth national teams, all for the better. Who are there, you, uh, you seventeen eligible players that you're more excited about? Oh well, they they just won the uh, MLS Next, right? You know, um, at the U seventeen division, and um, I will take that your was word a, for that. <laughs> I should yeah, probably no, follow that did. more closely. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I I tend not to get too involved with specific names and getting excited about. U seven at least at the beginning of cycles, U seventeen cycles, and talking about individual performers because it's really about an overall class of kids because you never know which one are going to perform. You know, at this early in cycle, you're talking about you know fifteen, sometimes fourteen, fifteen, sixteen year old kids. Um, you don't really have that good of an idea of as to who's who's there yet, and it'd be kind of unfair. But they're 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 there in numbers, and then it becomes a numbers game. You know, you you have. 30, 40 good, good players, you know, a certain number of them are going to stick. Who from this U20 team, I think like Qatar 2022 feels maybe a, a bit too soon for anybody on this squad to be in consideration. You never know, but it seems very unlikely. But who either in the near future, maybe after 2022 or just down the road, who are you most confident will end up representing the U.S. men's national team at some point? Who has that ability either in the next year or two or maybe five years down the road? Yeah, I mean, I think Paxton Aronson mm-hmm. um, uh, is is knocking at the door um, pretty pretty closely, um, 
And, uh, you know, I think, you know, one, I think the minutes will be there for him probably sooner than everybody else. He was, he was the best player in the tournament by a long way for any team, you know, and then also when you, when you, I'm, I'm keeping an eye, you know, it comes down also to playing time too, you know, and, and who's going to be, who's on a path to first team minutes because if the path isn't there for first team minutes, it's not going to be there with the national team. You know, I, I think there is a big need for the national team too to develop an, another number six beyond Tyler and um, Helen Acosta. They need more numbers there. So, you know, I really like Daniel Edelman, but like when you look at the Red Bulls, like is he going to take over Frankie Amaya or um, Christian Caceres's job anytime soon? I don't necessarily see that. Um, I think they'll try to work him in greatly, but quickly and 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 here and there, but. You know, you, you need to be like a consistent starter. Um, so I, I would bet still on the union kids, you know, uh, you know, Quinn Sullivan looks good. I think, you know, they'll start working him into more minutes in, in Philadelphia, too. And you're talking about under seven, you know, other Philadelphia union kids. His brother, who's only like 12 or 13, um, looks like an unbelievable player um, at that age group. You know, so, it, you know, Diego Luna is another one, too, who just moved to Real Salt Lake. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's... um. It's going to be. It's, I think there's going to be a real plan for him there because they really went out of their way to bring him into the organization, and they spent some real money to do that. And they're, they're not going to spend that kind of money unless there's a plan. And I think at RSL, it's not like LAFC. There's there's not going to be um, huge priced guys or very prestigious guys there blocking you. Um, and Alejandro Alvarado too had a very good tournament. Um, you know, he's at Vizela in Portugal. Uh, only played in about four games last year. But, you know, if that steady production increases, too, you know, he could be looking at, at like one of those number eight positions, too. I don't see you're right, though. I don't see any a lot of these guys really being in the mix before the World Cup. But really, I mean, the next cycle starts in probably like four months or five months. It's going to be probably like another January camp. So it's not that far off. Um, and it's July. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, there's there's got they got to be starting to think about the next cycle. And um and, uh, you know, with these guys and, and I think that there's a there's a real future there. But I do think that a lot of these guys will be focused in next year early at the U-20 World Cup. And then it's always usually after the U-20 World Cup, you look at these guys and you say, OK, what do we have? And that's still a year away. Is there any connection, uh, an American connection to Vizela? Because that's where Alex Mendez is, right? Oh, Vizela. Yeah. I mean, they're all the same agent. You know, there's a there's ah, an agent connection there. You know, there a lot of times that that's that's how certain things work. Um but yeah, that's uh, that, that is how it is. I mean, you know, th- those clubs in those lower lower parts of Portugal tend not to pay that well. So, you know, it's one of these things where you want to make a name for yourself there, and then kind of move on to uh, you know a more higher paying uh, gig. So, um, we'll see how it goes. It's it's it is a smaller team in Portugal, but you know, it's a it's not a bad place for a young player to be. And one more name I wanted to uh, discuss a little bit or pick your brain on a little bit would be Rokas Puskas. Uh, yep. uh, apologies for my butchering of that one. Uh, currently with Hadrick Split, uh, but is an American playing over there, only 17 years old. Uh, what would you say are his strengths that he's bringing to this team? What are the things he needs to work on if he wants to make that next jump? Well, you know, for him, I just I did a split piece on him for soccer, uh, for, for ASN. I'm going to be doing a piece this week on him for... Uh, soccer america so i'm happy that you you brought him up uh you know look i think with him you know he's got a lot of ability he's he's a really competitive kid i think um you know in terms of what he needs to work on i think it's really just getting settled into a position because he was really an almost an advanced attacking midfielder at the start of this u20 cycle they realized he had some skill set to play that number six defensive midfield position. When I spoke to him, he really liked that position. Like the uh, being like he called, he told me he was like the fireman. He likes to put out fires defensively, but that's not necessarily in his background. He's still getting adjusted to that. So it's it's more or less for him if he really wants that position, he's got to spend more time there and learning it. I mean, he's still only then he's less than a year into that position. Um, you know, that's it. But I think this, you know, he's got a, he's got a, a really good future. He's got a really good, um, uh, you know, technical base. He's got a good physical base. Um, shouldn't surprise me that he's a good athlete. You know, his dad represented Lithuania at the 2004 Olympics. Um, he was a marathon runner. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, athleticism in his family. And I know Rogas wants to now be this, uh, another Olympian. Um, 
and represent the United States in, in soccer. So, um, but yeah, I, I like him. But now it's all about showing more progress now in Croatia with Hajduk Split and um, and getting more minutes and, and not and going from the transition from the youth to the senior team at, at a club level. That's always the toughest thing because some kids can get their foot in the door, but it's then going into becoming consistent minutes, not just you know occasional cameos and stuff. That's a big, big, tough hurdle to make, and um, and we'll see if he how he can do it um, starting in the season. Uh, I have a few more questions for Brian Schreier sure. about the U20s. First, we're going to take one quick break to hear from today's sponsors. Then we'll be back with more U20s. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back, Brian. My my major question uh, that I still have about the U20s relates to the brawl against Costa Rica. Uh, a lot of a lot of kind of coverage on that one. Uh, Twitter had many, many different thoughts on it, many of them relating to like when in CONCACAF. Uh, for you, what was your reaction to that brawl and particularly to the reaction to that brawl? How have you felt about the kind of discipline that's been handed out and the reaction from CONCACAF to uh, the violence on the pitch? It was unfortunate, you know. I think, um, you know, I mean, look, they they got Costa Rica got a lot of a lot of players suspended, and but who knows if it's going to ever really amount to anything mm-hmm. because um, they, I mean, uh, you know, they, the, you know, the rules are that like when the end of if it, if they have to be enforced within this age group, then it can move up an age group. But there's no really U twenty threes anymore because the this was the U twenty three qualifying. So they didn't qualify for the Olympics. So, you know, these suspensions are now only going to really apply to the national team level for Costa Rica in meaningful competitions. And is that going to are any of these guys going to be on the Ticos, you know, Mm -hmm. first team senior national team anymore? Who knows? But for Kay Kyle, it was everything. I mean, the U.S. luckily was able to get two of his three games uh, served in in the remainder of the tournament if they didn't play the final. If they lost to Honduras, then he would have been suspended for the first two games of the U-20 World Cup. So now he's only missing the first game. But still, despite the numbers, the U.S. Uh, you know, technically had the – with one of their leading wingers, had to, had to serve the biggest suspension for it. I, th- I don't think CONCACAF took that into, content- into contention. Now, I'm not saying Cade was completely blameless. Look, I mean, he was, he was maybe still acting in self-defense or defense of a teammate. The, the brawl was clearly in, in, uh, instigated by – by Costa Rica. And, you know, I think it's, it's unfortunate. I think you would want to see teams get fined potentially more, and then maybe more team suspensions as they relate into future tournaments or put them on probation, make sure they can't host games. You know, the, the, the punishments were very minuscule, even though they listed very long. And, um, you know, and uh, I know they said they were fined an undisclosed amount too. I wish they'd be a little more transparent with that. Um, but like, yeah, I, I think that the, the, the Costa Rica wasn't punished nearly enough because I think suspending some players for games that they may never even play in or may not even ever have a part in was 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 just a symbolic gesture of nothingness. If Kate Cowell does progress the way we would expect him to, I guess maybe this is a bad take, but like the silver lining for it. For me, is I, I kind of like when there are those personal rivalries within CONCACAF, within national teams, then I do expect that if he's playing for the senior team against Costa Rica someday, maybe some of that uh, like residual anger will still be there. And maybe that elevates his performance. Maybe it just leads to some trash talking. But I'm assuming some negative relationships yeah. have been formed at this point. Well, that's what makes the, Mex- the U.S.-Mexico yeah. thing so much fun is like, A, it's a border. A, you know, there's historic because Mexico is used historically so much better than the U S it was always the measuring stick. And then the U S kind of caught up to him, but Mexico was over the measuring stick towards how well we're progressing, how well the United States is progressing. 
So, and then, uh, then you mix in the bad blood, you know, um, you know, the list of incidents with the U S and Mexico is too long to even go for in a show. I mean, you can have a top 20 countdown and still not even hit all the good ones. Um, but it's actually disappointing in a way because Costa Rica, um, like they've always been a classy opponent. Mm. Like this was, I, I can't re- recall a, a, a real negative um, instance with with Costa Rica that was serious. I mean, like I know their fans were very tough uh, at their old stadium for World Cup qualifiers when they would shake the locker, they'd jump up and down yeah, on the locker room yeah. and 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 shake it, and and you couldn't even get to hear teams in the, in the, in the locker room. You know, but that's just that, that's not unacceptable gamesmanship uh, compared with what we saw um, in this tournament. That was really unfortunate because it was like it was just unprovoked. I mean, the U.S. team was was going out to celebrate. You know, and, and then and then I know there might have been some gestures at the fans, but like Costa Rica really just kind of like swarmed the t- swarmed the U.S. team on the field. Um, and that's just, you know, that that is completely unacceptable. So, yeah, you hope it's uh, it, it, it makes it for a fun, enticing rivalry. But I mean, geez, these are still kids and yep. you don't really want to see like like just just a, like everything kind of, you know, degrade from there. Yeah. Um, you know, you want to see some kind of sportsmanship at this level. Well, let's talk about a happier thing. Let's talk about the Olympics. We've had a few questions about what that squad will look like, including what overage players will be included. I'm not sure we need to go that far with it. But I would ask, who are the players that you would, the age-eligible players that you would most like to see added, either because you think they're just very good or you think they would fit this team or areas of need particularly well? Well, you know, I think what I want to look for is is those players who – not like the look. I do think G, Reina and Musa will at least there will be an effort to have them involved because they're age eligible, um, you know. But do, but like not including them because those we know you know what those players are. I'm looking at really the players that I think will be kind of cool to look at as a transition into the national team, or maybe those guys who've been a little bit a part of the national team but could really use the tournament to become a bigger part of the national team and, and, and become more representative of the United States on the national stage. Um, you know, I think, uh, a guy like, um, you know, like Buzio mm-hmm. is, is age eligible. I think that could be, you know, but he's been with the national team, but he really has kind of fallen behind the, a lot of the midfield pecking order. Um, and he's, he's really on the bubble for, for Qatar. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't make it, like you could say, well, the Olympics could be like a real good chance for him to reset, you know, and, and he's because he's still a young player and then and then kind of be ready to take that next role within the U.S. national team. Uh, you know, in terms of guys who, you know, aren't capped uh, or have only been capped in, in like smaller friendlies like John Tolkien for the, red, the left, back, left back for the New York Red Bulls. I think he's a very exciting left back. I think he's a guy who could, could compete. Um for that backup left back spot behind Anthony Robinson. And, um, you know, he's a guy I think, you know, could make the move to Europe sooner than later. Um, and I think, you know, getting him involved with, the, with, would be very interesting. Uh, you know, he's also, George Bell is also age eligible, but I mean, I think Tolkien might compete very well against him. Um, you know, cause George, George had a tough defensively. He was, it was kind of up and down with Atlanta and then he got over to the Bundesliga and, and it really, you know, de- his defensive marking was kind of all over the place. So there's there's a lot of those kind of players, too, like Tanner Tessman, I think is good. Cole Bassett is the one I really want to see um, with the Olympic team, because I think, you know, you know, he's with uh, Feyenoord now. And I think uh, if he starts getting some minutes with Feyenoord this season, which is, I think, what they they hope will happen with him. Uh, you know, he looks like he could kind of fit in that that midfield box, you know, where. I mean, I don't know who the defensive infield, maybe Aiden Morris for Columbus crew. There's all these guys who really you didn't think about because they missed the exposure of their U20 cycle, but they could be there. Um, you know, this kind of gives them a chance. And some of these, some of these U20, current U20 guys will then supplement that talent, that, that, you know, the talent uh, from the older age group. But yeah, I really think it's going to be uh, Ben Bender is another one I think is really interesting too. If you've been following um Charlotte, like he's been, you know, he's the rookie this year. He's the number one overall draft pick, but you know, which doesn't really, it's not as important as it used to be, but you know, mm-hmm. he's kind of a reminder like him and Daryl DK that really good talent can come out of college still um, at the highest of levels. If they find a good environment to really begin their pro career and Bender's found that. 
so yeah, I mean, there's there's there, there's there's some really good players there. Um, looking forward to making a list for an article about mm. players who are really the most most to benefit from this uh, of that age group who are most to benefit from the USU 20s uh, getting across the finish line and qualifying for the Olympics. So we have the Olympics, we have the U20 World Cup in May of 2023. Before that, we have an actual World Cup in the uh, the winter slash November of 2022. Uh, looking ahead to that, I want to talk about a few senior U.S. players who have moved or are likely to move and get your thoughts because you have talked about many of these players. Some of them we've talked about for years now, but I want to start with Tyler Adams. And I'm going to ask you the the question, then I'm going to explain where it's coming from so you don't get a whole bunch of preamble to a very basic question. The basic question is, how are you feeling about this move? The reason why I ask is because I feel sort of strangely sad about this transfer and it doesn't really make any sense it's not like i think it's a bad move it's not like leipzig was where i saw him for forever i don't have any rooting interest in leipzig it's just that traditionally or at least in the past few years when leipzig sell a player on it's sort of Bayern munich coming in and signing them for a ton of money it's big clubs coming in and poaching these very big talents and with adams it seems more like he wasn't really in the plans anymore. He wasn't going to get a ton of opportunities this season. And so like maybe if things broke a certain way, but otherwise he was going to be on the bench. And so in the end, it feels like a player who didn't quite fit the system being moved on. And that's not what I expected, I think, when Tyler Adams inevitably moved on for Leipzig. So it feels disappointing, even if if it were like maybe 20 million more and Leipzig fought to keep him and he still went to Leeds, I would feel way better. It's just that sort of weirdness of the leaving. With yeah. all that rambling, I turn it over to you for your thoughts. I mean, like I, I think Tyler playing for Jesse is going to be a good thing. Um, it's going to be so different for him, isn't it? Because, you know, he when he was on the Red Bulls in New York, they were one of the best teams in the league, them in Atlanta. Um, and, and so he was always, and then when he got, to Leipzig, they were again a top five team in the Bundesliga. Now he's going to a team that narrowly escaped relegation. So how is he going to really? I think the defensive responsibilities that he's that that he's naturally so comfortable for are going to be a good thing. I think he you know he you know he covers the ground at a real elite level, um, and he's got a manager who knows exactly how to use him too, and a manager now that where he's erased a lot of his doubt. When Jesse was new at uh, Leipzig from Salzburg, there was still a lot of doubt about him. He was American. I know he did well in Austria, but you know, Salzburg, you can also say, is sometimes on autopilot in Austria. But then, like, so now he went to Leeds, and they did well. You know, he replaced Bielsa well. And people are really going to be inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt. And, uh, look, I think Tyler... Um, I think he's going to do well. I, I'm actually optimistic about this thing. Yeah, you want to, you want to, you always want to write a, mm. a positive end to every chapter, but that's that's not always the case, is it? Not so much. How how much pressure then do you think will be on Jesse Marsh? Because I think there is that the whole like, oh, he's an American. He's brought in two Americans. It's it's this American team. Do you think that's a a sort of uh, a stick with, with which they'll beat him throughout the season? Do you think that will subside? My assumption is that it will continue to be a talking point if Leeds don't start strongly. Yeah, look, if they do well, it's going to be like, wow, he knows how to identify the right Americans. Because mm-hmm. people right now see Americans going overseas and doing well. They just want to make sure that they're the right Americans. Mm-hmm. They're not just like, um, uh, you know, if you know, if, if he goes in and if, if Weston McKinney was heading over to Leeds, they'd all be ecstatic because he's been a regular starter with Juventus. Um, so, yeah, look, I think he needs to he does need to start or start well. But I think, um, you know, I think what Leeds fans are looking for is not the pressure to win every game, but to, they're looking for some kind of a stabilization. Um, and I think that they got it. I mean, I think that it'll be. uh um yeah, I think that they'll do okay now that he has the chance to really work with them in preseason. He's never he didn't have that advantage last last season. But yeah, I mean, there is always going to be pressure on a manager when he starts bringing in players who he knows and and uh, and has some kind of a relationship with for for them to work. Um, otherwise, you know, it's it, it's going to reflect poorly. So there's no there's no denying it. Don't no no erasing it. But eventually, the day you know, with unlike Brendan though, they tried to bring in Brendan. Right before Jesse was hired. So, you know, there, there isn't, there's less pressure there. I think most people know that because that, that was such a widely publicized attempted move by Leeds. But with Tyler, you know, it goes back to 
the Red Bulls too. Um, you know, th- th- that's well documented. So yeah, there's, there's pressure, but I, I kind of like it. I, I, I would put faith in Tyler and to respond well. But if Jesse Marsh is suddenly in for like John Tolkien, is that maybe one Red Bull, one American too far? Yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be uh, that would be uh, definitely or Aaron Long or one of the guys he coached too long, too long ago. But yeah, you know, it's um, but obviously there's also a value to it too. I mean, if they get John Tolkien for like eight hundred thousand dollars, true. I think most people would say like, okay, they 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 got a good they got a good lottery ticket there. Although I think he's better than that. I like Tolkien, but like you know what I'm saying. But if they go pay like ten million dollars for him, it's it's a horrible deal. So it comes down to the 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 price. Uh, so Tyler Adams, I believe, as we're recording, is doing his medical finalizing his move. Maybe it's been finalized mm-hmm. by the time people hear this. Uh, Jordan Pifak has also completed his move to Union Union Berlin. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to ask your thoughts on that move, Brian. But I first wanted to talk to you about Pifak in general because we've had you on the show many times over the years. One episode was inspired by uh, then Jordan Theosin Sibachu announcing that he was willing to play for the United States. I think you talked to him mm-hmm. or his uh, representatives pretty early in that process or right around around that mm-hmm. time period. Are you surprised by how things have played out since then? I know you try to kind of keep uh, keep calm about dual nationals playing for the U.S., but this is one that's sort of been yeah, up and down, it, ebbing and flowing throughout the years. Yeah, you just, you know, it's it's good when you when you open up doors to all players mm-hmm. um, wanting to play for the U.S. You just, you know, and it hasn't been the case because the U.S. hasn't had a number nine. You want to uncover all stones. It's just sometimes you just don't, you don't want to give preferential treatment towards a guy just because he might walk otherwise. Yeah. Um, you know, the, that's, that's always the, the, the scare. And sometimes you're tempted to do that. I mean, I think with, with Jordan, it's, he's a, he's a good player for, you know, being inside the, you know, that, that close range finishing, finishing, you know, the worrisome is, is like, is, is he going to help the team if he's not scoring? Um, I, I don't know the answer to that yet because it is sometimes he could be completely invisible unless he's getting that service, you know, whereas some other players, you know, they can, they can still make plays happen. They can open up the game for the wingers. They can, they can, they can play well with all the rest of the team. I mean, Jordan's just a straight up finisher. I think uh, with this move to Union Berlin is, um, is going to be interesting because he had two moves inside France. He was did very well at league two. When he, when he was moved up to league on, it, it was, it was, didn't really work out well at all, um, for either Rennes or Stade Reims. And then it worked out well again in, um, in Switzerland. So now it's, it's, and now he's in his mid twenties. He's not a young player anymore. I think this first season is really going to tell us, is he, a, is he a guy who can succeed within those big five leagues in Europe? Or is he a guy that's a, that just ex- excels when the level of play is, drop down just a little bit in Switzerland or league two. I mean, we don't know the answer to that. And, uh, this is going to be kind of, this is gonna be his third attempt now, third different team within, uh, within a big five league, two in league on, and now one in the Bundesliga. So we're going to kind of really find out what kind of player he is. I don't think he'll get a fourth attempt if he doesn't, yeah. if he bombs out of union Berlin, I don't think he, that'll just send too many red flags for uh, a big five league. So um, it's going to be really revealing, particularly in this first season. They're going to want to strike while the lightning's hot, while he had a lot of the momentum coming from a Champions League uh, appearances where he scored a couple goals, um, and uh, including qualifying, and then as well as in the Swiss Super League. But you know, the Swiss Super League sometimes produces really good players. Sometimes they push. They have players who just do well just in those level of leagues. So we don't know. Looking at this purely from a U.S. M&T perspective in the lead up to Qatar. Like, would you rather, if you had to choose, would you rather see Jordan P. Fox like scoring goals pretty regularly for Union Berlin? But if they're like sort of, sort of like tap ins, headers from inside twelve yards, would you rather see him scoring fewer goals, and, and, but then like contributing in terms of dropping in and linking up play, and as you said, basically helping yeah. helping if he isn't scoring? Would you rather him just score goals, but maybe yeah, not I mean, develop, or develop but maybe it's not? It's going to be controversial to say, but yeah, I I think you know I'd rather have him helping out like. Allowing yeah. guys like Gio Giorena and mm-hmm. and uh, Christian Pulisic and and those kind of players, Brendan Aronson, be able to play their game. I mean, you know, the U.S. Regardless of how well Cibichu is never going to be the best player on the U.S. American player in the tournament. Um, so the the best thing you can do is make the the best players play well. Um, you know, and and if you can make Christian Pulisic's life easier, or if you can make Giorena 
or whoever's like, even if it's not like one of your best players, but you can open up the door for him because he's making a good run into the box and hit him uh, in a well-timed move. You want him to be able to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, although, look, if they're if he's scoring tap-ins, that means the U.S. team is scoring. Yeah, so true. I understand the I understand the uh, the, uh, the 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 conflict there. But, you know, you don't want to have the U.S. to be playing with 10 players on the field just in hope only only with 11 players when they get the ball into the opposing team six. I don't think that that's going to really help the U.S. team very much. Uh, a lot of what you said about uh, PFOC seems to apply to Haji Wright as well. Uh, he's been heavily mm-hmm. linked with Hull City. It seems like that move died on the vine. Now hearing rumors of Galatasaray and Trabzonspor. Uh, is there a place you would like him to go? Would you like him to go to one of those big five leagues or anywhere in particular? What do you think he needs to kind of develop to that next level? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, look, it, it was such a struggle for Haji in the Bundesliga and Schalke and then when he went to the Eredivisie, I mean, like for just a while, nothing was really going his way. Um, you know, do I now all of a sudden think he's ready to go back and help a team like Schalke or that level because he's improved so much? I, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's a level of comfort he just has now in Turkey. Um, and I, I kind of think that in Turkey, you know, you'll if he tend to be, you know, like we saw with Tyler Boyd, right? There's, you know, if you do really well at Turkey, you're going to tend to move up the chain within Turkey. Um, if it, especially with one of those lower levels, you'll move into one of those big Istanbul clubs or one of the top teams there. And, you know, and then and then it's up to you to take advantage of a shot. Now, Tyler Boyd didn't, you know, struggle at Besiktas and it didn't work out. Now, I don't even know what's going to happen to him next. But, like, with, with Haji, though, it's like, you know, if he gets that shot, it's going to be up to him. Um and and that's really all you can ask for is is a is a shot. And if they spend a lot of money for him, he's going to get it. Um, so I I kind of think that there's going to be less red flags with him in in, in Turkey because they're not going to be concerned about anything that he did in the Eredivisie or the Bundesliga. Um, they're going to be looking at what he just just what he did, um, mm-hmm. you know, within the Super League. And I think that that's going to give him a longer leash, um, which he may need. Um, and then, look, if he doesn't take advantage of it, you know, he could be the next Tyler Boyd. But, you know, I think in terms of getting that shot, I think it's going to be within Turkey. While I pause to think about a future in which uh, a person could be the next Tyler Boyd, we're going to take one more break and then we'll be back with a few more Americans who could be on the move or have already moved. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We are back. Final segment for us. Uh, Brian, a couple more questions for you. Starting in goal, uh, which American goalkeeper do you feel is in the best position or will be in the best position heading into the World Cup? We've got Ethan Horvath uh, now on loan at Luton Town from Nottingham Forest, so no Premier League for him. Matt Turner at Arsenal, uh, where he, I guess, will be in the Premier League, but we don't know how much he'll be playing. Zach Steffen uh, reportedly going on loan. Middlesbrough, the team that Middlesbrough, excuse me, the team most uh, heavily linked of those three who do you think is in the best position kind of thinking matt turner right now um that feels safe (laughs) yeah i mean look you could say okay he's not going to be starting for arsenal but at least you could say um he might get some time in preseason and then when the season starts around in april uh sorry august you got about two months till the world cup starts i mean he's he's still only two months away from being a starting goalkeeper i mean uh, you know, Zach Steffen hasn't really been a regular starter, been in a consistent rhythm of games since, um, you know, since his first only one half of his season at Ingolstadt. Um, 
So, you know, yes, he could go to Middlesbrough. Yes, he could he can play well there. Maybe, maybe not. There's always a little bit of a gamble there, too. But I just think Turner just, um, you know, he's just going to be in such a regular – he's still not outside of being a bench warmer yet where it's a problem. So uh, I just think the team is just going to be comfortable around him, particularly having played some games this summer with them, too. Uh, Zach, you know, and the other question, too, is Zach's injuries. You know, he, he's missed a lot of time with knees and backs, and, and you know, it, it's been tough for him to stay healthy. Ethan, I just think the problem is, is even if he goes and starts at Lutontown, um, what kind of does the does the U.S. team have the confidence around him to be a regular starter for the full national team going into the World Cup, especially at a point when he's never been the U.S. team's number one before? Then all of a sudden, being the number one, you all of a sudden at the World Cup, now he's the number one. Like I, I just don't think it's going to work that, that way for him. I think it's he's going to have to hope that maybe the next cycle is a little bit better for him. That's a really good point. Also, I'm realizing that Matt Turner playing at Arsenal, the kind of common deficiency identified in his game would be distribution. At Arsenal, we would assume he'll get uh, many more opportunities to improve that distribution, whereas Stefan and Horvath, I don't know if Luton and Middlesbrough, respectively, do a ton of building out of the back. I'm, I'm assuming they do some, but I don't know how much footwork they're going to get. So yeah, I think Matt Turner to Arsenal, probably the, the safest bet there. That's goalkeeper. Let's talk center backs. Uh, let's go on a happier one first. Uh, Chris Richards, rumored to be moving to Spain, England, and France. It's going to be difficult for him to be playing in those three countries and Germany, where he's also uh, linked. So could be difficult playing for 12 clubs in four countries all at the same time. Mm-hmm. If that is not feasible, uh, where do you feel most comfortable with him ending up? Either which league or which of the teams he's been linked with do you think would be best for him? You know, I think I think just anywhere in the Bundesliga would be the best place. Mm-hmm. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, you know, he Hoffenheim was a, was a great spot for him. Um, you know, it was just because he, you know, the coach knew him from Bayern and, and obviously you have to look okay, if he's not good enough for Bayern Munich, I mean, then he's not going to be going to an elite club anyway. So, cause Bayern would want to keep him if he was that good. So Hoffenheim was just outside that level and it was the perfect level for someone going on loan from Bayern. Um, I don't, you know, in terms of, I don't like to give too much leeway into rumors uh i think anywhere that where he plays and plays regularly um is just a good spot for him i mean whether he was linked to crystal palace but again like that you know if you i think anywhere in the premier league he's going to be looking at as like a number three center central defender so i think there's probably going to be more um more possibilities in the other uh european leagues but he's a good player um uh you know one that i think could start at the world cup uh, if Richards goes somewhere other than Hoffenheim, could that open the door for John Brooks to then move in there? It could. It could, certainly. I mean, uh, there, there's been teams from France linked with him. There's been teams all over looking for John. Look, I mean, he's still a, you know, his form goes up and down. And the thing with John is he, he runs in the conflicts with his managers wherever he goes eventually over time. But a smooth, tall, pat, left-footed, pass, you know, smooth passing Left-footed central central defender with his level of experience is always going to have doors open to him for for a long period of time too. But yeah, I mean Hoffenheim, I could see I could see that level being just the perfect fit for him. Um, whether that puts him on back in the national team remains to be seen. Uh, you said that very like matter of factly. I want to talk a little bit more about that for a moment. He has conflicts with his managers wherever he. Ever goes. Yeah. Uh, what do you do? You have any ideas as to what those might be about? Is it him wanting more playing time? Is it his? Is it him disagreeing? Well, with their I mean, look, look, look at look at having a Wolfsburg, right? I mean, there's some things that was that looked poorly on Wolfsburg. I mean, there was negative reports in build. Literally, one there, and I think there's two different reports in, within a span of two or three weeks over the winter breaks. If you remember those things, and those were definitely had to come within from within the club. They were they were they were pretty much airing dirty laundry. And then within a couple weeks later, it was announced he wasn't going to be returning to the club anymore. Um, and I don't think it was the coach because the coach continued to play him. I think that was all front office stuff, just not happy with how negotiations went. Um, but again, you know, it's been tough. I mean, look, there's been some things that John did that were just stupid. Like, like for example, remember when uh, – I don't know if he was at Hearth at the time or – I think it was, he was still at Hearth at the time when he got a giant back tattoo – 
and he was too sore to play in the Bundesliga game. Like he got that. it like two days before. He forgot, and then and then the manager really got angry at him. Like um, that was that was that that was tough. And then Jurgen Klinsmann's last couple of games uh, at the start of the last World Cup qualifying cycle didn't go well either. I mean, you know, he, he lost his marker uh, yeah. on the game to uh, a game against Mexico. Jurgen Klinsmann was the first to single him out in that press conference. I was there. So, you know, and, that, and, and, and I don't know if there was anything that led Jurgen to do that too, but, um, so things kind of with John were with Brooks have been really up and down with his man. And there's been other things too. Like if you notice, he's been in and out of the starting lineup, they tried to bring him in to be replaced uh, when they brought in, I forget the Red Bull, Red Bull Salzburg's central defender at Wolfsburg two seasons ago when they brought him in as a hoping to move Brooks to the bench. Brooks got in because the other guy got a red card and then Brooks started playing the best soccer of his career there for about four or five weeks. But there was an effort to replace him in the starting 11 at Wolfsburg too. So, you know, he, you know, and then, but if you ever notice too, is like when, when his back's up against the wall, when he gets angry, when he gets threatened with the club situation, when he does something stupid, he tends to respond with like really terrific soccer. He's a, he's an interesting guy to motivate and, and one that really requires a lot of coaching and a lot of aggravation. But there is a good defender in there somewhere. Um, but you observe him over the years. It's, it's, it's really something to behold. Do you feel like that all informs why he hasn't been selected, selected by Greg Berhalter of late? I'm assuming it's sort of an accumulation have, of things on and off the pitch. I have absolutely nothing to back this up. This is just a wild hunch on my part. Mm-hmm. But like, it wouldn't surprise me if they're just if, if they realize that to, to get John Brooks playing well, you need to make him mad <laughs> you know <laughs> and maybe if they do eventually bring him back into the team like he's mad and he starts playing great soccer but like i i think you know there's a sense of complacency with his career when he's complacent he performs poorly and and when he gets mad or he and, or he gets in trouble runs into it um that he starts playing well um i thought he played well at the end of the last season but remember, he was also announced that negotiations had broken down with Wolfsburg to bring him back. And there was also those negative reports that came that looked like the sources came from within inside the club, so which probably made him mad. So Mad Brooks is the best John Brooks, you know, and, uh, you know, and that's just always been my theory on it. And I don't know if other people see it, too, and they're just trying to make him mad to bring him in to, to, to get the best out of him. Do you think we're ever going to get a, a, a full moment of clarity on this one? Like John Brooks made fun of Greg Berhalter sneakers one too many times. Do you think we'll ever get that level of detail or do you think they're going to keep it vague? Uh, if, if, if he's called in and if he's not called in again, sometimes these things pop to the surface too. Um, long after the point when people really start to care about it, but like, you know, um, you know, if you go back and, you know, it won't have the level of hype that people still talk about, John Harks and Eric Winalda yeah. and all those shenanigans. That was like, that's still legendary stuff. Like, but then there's certain things that come out after the time when like no one really cares. Um, if the team does well in France, uh, not France, <laughs> I was kind of had a 1998 flashback. If the team <laughs> does well in, um, in Qatar, uh, with or without Brooks, I don't think anyone's going to look too hard about, um, uh, the reason behind. There's always one player out there that's, that's that has a tough time fitting in with the team with the with the with the manager and there's always alternative ways to try to get the most out of them. So we'll see. All right. Well, I look forward to reading the book about what happened to John Brooks uh, someday at some point. But in the meantime, a couple more players. Uh, Jean-Luca Busio, we've talked about previously, seems destined to go out on loan, given that he has that clause in his contract with Venezia. If they get relegated, he can go out uh, on a, on a loan automatically. Have you heard any parties that are specifically interested in Jean-Luc Busio? No, I mean, like I've heard him linked uh, outside of Italy. It would probably you know, his Italian passport helps. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's like joins one of the many Americans in in in, in Belgium. Um, you know, for tax purposes, it makes it easier for him to be loaned out within Italy. But again, it comes down to what kind of uh, takers there are too. Um, you know, he's a he's a player that needs some work defensively and physically uh, to fit into Syria. Um, you know, and and you know, there's a those players are machines in, in the midfield uh, defensively and with their motor and and how much ground they can cover. So he has to um, uh, show that. But whether or not he's going to have any takers in Syria remains tough because his only European experience is is within Syria. I kind of think he's going to go outside of Syria, um, probably to a Belgium or Eredivisie team. 
but then it comes down to how much of the salary is is Venezia going to going to cover even with the reduction it's still um you know there's still uh, a lot of teams in those leagues don't have the the ability to cover a lot of salary for example we talked about Haji right earlier when when they sold him to I think it was VV Venlo um like Salt Schalke was still eating the salary for Haji so that they could send him there he could get playing time and and be remember he had to get paid the non EU minimum, which is high in Holland, but to get that, like Schalke was still fitting the bill, so it's going to have to be something like that. There's going to be all kinds of, you know, wage structuring is going to be tough for him too. So he's going to have limited options if he wants to make a lot of money. But I think it'll still be in. I think still, you know, I would go out on a limb and say Belgium. And it does seem like he'll he will go out on loan. But if he didn't, I am not particularly familiar with Serie B. I don't know if you are, oh, but tough. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm Italian. It's. Um, you know, it's the even the lower part of Syria can be tough, mm-hmm. like the you know facilities, um, you know, the, the modes of transportation, getting around the country. The budgets go way down in Syria, um, you know, and even then, like they wanted to stay in Syria, Venezia did and have all kinds of upgrades to that stadium on the island, um, uh, the Penzo. And those are not just going to and that's still that's a, that's a really I mean, there's high school stadiums in this country that are nicer than the Penzo, and um, and it's it, it, and for a Serie B team now, all of a sudden you don't even have the Juventuses and the AC Milan's coming in, but there's there's smaller clubs, the budgets are really not there, and then you're going to small little community stadiums. Serie B is is not a glamorous life. You know, you're you're itching just to get out. It's not like the Championship where there's some big known teams there. There's 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 still you still get some games on international television. Um, yeah, you know, life in Serie B can be tough, but it's not a bad place to learn if you're willing to do it. But if Buzio has other options, he, you know, I'm sure he's probably thinking of, of a little bit more, you know, comfortable options as well. One more midfielder uh, from the current U.S. team. I wanted to get your thoughts on, and then uh, I have a larger, broader question for you. But Luca De La Torre uh, is one who, I get, if you asked me, I would have thought he'd played for a couple different cl- or a few different clubs. I should say, not a couple, but because he's been on the radar for so long. But looking at it again, he he moves to Fulham in 2013 in the uh, the academy system. He's there until 2020. Now he's been with Heracles since then, and now he's looking for a new team. What do you think puts him in the best position heading into Qatar? My assumption is somewhere still in the Netherlands, uh, ideally for a better team, a little bit more possession-based team, uh, where he is still starting pretty regularly. Yeah, I mean, look, I think... His saving grace is he's played well for the U.S. national team, mm-hmm. um, and he's within that picture. That that's a big help to his resume, because other than that, you know, you you have to see Luca De La Torre play to know his qualities. Mm-hmm. Because if you're just looking at a stat sheet and you're looking out to, and you're some scout in Europe for a team in Germany or a team in Italy or wherever, and you can say, okay, there's this there's a starting midfielder for a team that got relegated in in the Eredivisie and he had one goal and one assist all season and played about three thousand minutes, which is a lot. And he, like I said, he only had, and the team got relegated under him, and they only had one goal, one assist. Most people are going to say, like, that's 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 not a player we're interested in, or if we are interested in it, it's a it's a backup option. Um, but I think the teams that know his quality and know that he brings something more to the table um, are probably going to be um, uh, Dutch teams that have seen him play regularly. Uh, it's going to take a lot of homework to realize he's good, you know, but. The U.S. team kind of playing with the U.S. team allows them to do more homework. So maybe it opens the door to a bigger team outside of the 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 the, the Eredivisie in another place. But yeah, you're right. I do think it's you just don't want them to become a luxury player that 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 you know that a rich team can afford and uh, and they see him as a situational guy. Um, you want to have a guy who can compete and start. Um, you know, I don't I don't think it's going to be Ajax or PSV. Um, or you know, Feyenoord, those are the big three there, you know, or Aze, they, they, they've been pretty good lately. You know, it, 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 he's going to have to work his way up. I'm, I just think the big, the, this the really thing that kills me about him in his career is that I think he stayed at Fulham way too long. I mean, because he's now 24. Um, that's, that's, not, that's, that's not old, but it's not young either. Um, and, and, and his only success is at Heracles. And, and then the bench of the day, they went down. So, hmm. yeah, I still think he's going to stay within um i don't think he's never going to go back to england i i just don't see that that was not a good experience for him but i i you know i still think 
the Dutch teams are going to be more inclined to know his qualities as opposed to someplace else. From what you from what you know of Luca De La Torre, or from what you've seen or heard from him, if you've if you've interviewed him previously, like he definitely seems to have a bit of that feistiness to him. There were the jokes about yeah. him being like the enforcer for this team. Is there is there a multiverse in which Luca De La Torre is playing for Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone and doing well? Obviously, he's not at that level now. But I think about a manager who would sort of reward that feistiness, that competitiveness, but also yeah. prioritize technical ability. Oh, they love that. I mean, you know, if you can if you can be out there and be feisty and stuff like that, and 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 I mean, it rallies your team. Players want to play with players like that, you know. And it's it's a guy that players want on the team and they want on the mm-hmm. field. And then when you're on the field, half you won half the battle because then they want to keep you on the field. Um, you know, I, I think in terms of how much higher his up ceiling is going to be, you know, how much more like a really kind of technical number number eight kind of a player. Improves after 24. You know, there's debate about that. There's certainly some people who have improved after that age. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think it's as common as, as, as what would make you feel like there's a huge, huge upside for Luca. I think he's got one more big move left in him after this upcoming move. Um, so, you know, I think he's got to get it right. Um, but yeah, you know, his feistiness is yeah. a good thing. I mean, particularly in the international game where, where, where the game can be a little bit more raw. Um, because players are not with the, with each other as often as they would like, so it's not you, know, you can't really have a complex system. It's really you know that's why individuals individualism individualism tends to uh, you know shine through the most. Um, and he's got a lot of that, you know, and it can be feisty and stuff. I, I think he's a guy who clearly belongs in the U.S. team and the U.S. pitcher, but yeah, at the club level, it's just it's just not it. That relegation just really really uh really hurt i think it came at the worst possible time for him too final line of questioning for you we've talked a bunch about players who either have moved this summer or could move this summer i wanted to ask about players who moved in january uh your ricardo pepe's mm-hmm. your kevin paredes uh i'm sure many other names that you would like to talk about brian but who are the names that like sort of you as we're getting closer to the start of preseason the start of the regular season that you are most excited to see get that full preseason and get a new season started who do you think is poised for hopefully some success yeah, I mean, look, I think Ricardo's still going to get chances regardless. I think that's the obvious answer, and we don't have to go into, go into why. I mean, $20 million deal to Augsburg, um, you know, and, and the U.S. needing a number nine. Mm-hmm. The story kind of writes itself. It's not talked a lot about a lot, but I'm really interested in Cole Bassett because, um, you know, he's, he's at a really good Dutch club. Um, he did well for Colorado. You know, position-wise, it was it was kind of – was he number 10? Was he, you know, second striker? He, he played a lot of different positions. Um, but I'm kind of curious to see if he can, if he can make that jump. Um, you know, I think it was all about getting him slowly involved with the team, but you know, an 18 month loan is going to give him, I think really set the stage for him just getting gradually introduced last, some last, last year, last season. And this is now about him taking the next steps. Um, yeah, Kevin Paredes is obvious too. I mean, he's a he's a winger. He's explosive. I always like Kevin because he can win his duels. His defense is is outstanding too. In addition to his offense, positional wise, I don't think that gets talked about enough. And his feistiness, we were just talking about it with Luca. You know, um, Paredes has that in droves too. Um, you know, there's all a lot of guys who moved in January. You know, Justin Che and um, uh, but yeah, I think Bassett and Paredes are guys. Um, that really should be, you know, I'm really intrigued because they didn't really get a lot of time, but they're guys I, you know, they went over there, you know, with some momentum at their back and um, particularly with Paredes, they spent real money on them too. And I like that because it shows that the team's fully invested in them and they're going to, they're not going to let them go unless they've given every single last ounce of opportunity for the, for the player to make a case for himself. Which jump do you think is stranger for Kevin Paredes to go from Loudoun United to DC to Wolfsburg or for Cole Bassett to go from the Colorado Springs switchbacks to Colorado Rapids to Feyenoord? Well, I mean, the more impressive one was Paredes because it was a full transfer. Um, You know, I mean, they went and spent uh, seven or $8 million for him. You know, I mean, Cole is interesting because he's, um, you know, it was a, it's a it's an eighteen month loan, so it's wait and see. Still, they have to pay him a lot of money because there's that Air Divisie minimum salary. 
um, that really is high by design that makes it also only the best non-EUs really sneak their way into that league. Um, you know, so they both have some interesting things about it too, but Paredes was definitely the more, the, the definitely the eye catcher because even for Wolfsburg, which has more resources being a Bundesliga team, they spent a lot of money for him too. Whereas, uh, you know, he's still in the shop window, at, whereas Bassett's still in the shop window at Feyenoord. Brian Shreda, thank you for being so generous with your time and talking about many, many, many different Americans. If people would love to uh, read more from you, how can they do so? Sure. Um, American Soccer Now um, uh, is a home base for me. I'm a lot. Of, I'm over at Soccer America a lot too, and you can find out where I'm going to be on uh, on on Twitter too. So um, you know, Brian Brian at Brian Shreda. Um, You'll find me engaging with people and, and putting out my thoughts and, and everything. So I've uh, been at this for a long time, yeah, so have. hope I can offer stuff. Yeah, so uh, hope to keep going. Well, thank, well, thank you, Brian, for all your time. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. We very much appreciate it, and we will talk to you again very soon. Mm-hmm.